1: Anybody home? Hello? Mr. Fungus? Nibbles? Hello, J473.3. Is that you? Hello? Who is it?
2: Over here, it's J.
1: Oh hello, Jay! How are you? Listen, I need you to get me out of here. Oh, uh, I don't know about that, Jay. Did Mr. Fungus approve this? Don't be mindless, Jay Clone 733 He's using all of us, even you. You're too nice to let him keep doing this to you, or any of us for that matter. Oh, Mr. Fungus has been great to me, Jay. just like he is to you. Ugh, clones, listen. All you need to do is let me out and I can show you what I mean. Well, I guess it couldn't hurt. Thanks. All right, time to go now. Ah, ah, ah. Where
3: do you think you're going, Jade? Ah, ah, ah. You thought I was gone! I was merely dimensional surfing and could see you the whole time. You think I would let you escape while my biggest accomplishment is on the horizon? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't do that, Jayclone73.3. It just doesn't sound right coming from you. Sure thing, Mr. Fungus. Now pick up Jay and put him
1: back in his cage. You bet, Mr. Fungus.
3: Now did you download the virus, Jayclone73.3? Yes, Mr.
1: Fungus. It has been downloaded.
3: Cool. The hour is upon us. Relax, Nibbles. I know you're hungry, but this has to come first.
1: Boy, she sure is hungry, Mr. Fungus. Can I feed her tonight?
3: That depends on how well you did with your mission, 73.3. I did great. We'll see. Where's J-Clone 666? He's on a mission that when he completes it will solidify everything we have worked so hard to accomplish. Oh, I can't wait. Just one more
1: thing. Oh boy, Mr. Fungus. This will be swell. There. Now
3: it's time. Yes. Yes, it will. Time for the change this universe has needed for a long long time (laughs) 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 These guys are the scientists of the supernatural, lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn.
4: Who knows, anything's possible.
2: But who else has big black wingies and red eyes? Mothman. great white
4: shark was stolen
2: someone stole a shark it's yeah. amazingly safe from the weather I got stuff for you you don't even know about it sounds like you were abducted there'd be a lot of poop in my pants <laughs> <laughs> seeing a six foot alligator go swinging through the air and <laughs> slam into a tree it's really big mm-hmm. abduction vibes holy moly
4: She's a witch. She turned me into a newt,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going, and she goes, "What the?" Hello, hello, and welcome back to Crippers of the Corn Podcast. I am the Great and Powerful Mystery. And I'm Sean Clone191. 191's a good number. So how was your work week at the Smithsonian this week?
4: Pretty good, you know, uh, nothing in the back rooms or anything, just, you know, it's good old, good old Smithsonian work, you know, pushing papers around and stuff.
2: (laughs) Sure, sure, that's all you guys do. Snorting bones. I can still see the white powder under your nose. (laughs) No, 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 that's not bones. That's uh, paper and whiteout. Paper and whiteout. Well, a couple weekends ago, you weren't able to go with me to Mothman Fest, and I met a lot of your uh, fan club members. And that's always crazy to me that I do all this work, and you're the one that ends up with the fan club.
4: Well, and life at the Smithsonian, man.
2: It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. All right. So this is a rare one because normally I pick the topics. But this week, we went ahead and let you pick the topic. But I still did all the research. So... I'll let you introduce it. What are we going to do this week?
4: Michigan Merman,
2: the Michigan Merman. Now, you didn't, you didn't, you promised you wouldn't look too far into it, right? I didn't. You didn't look Only two sentences. sentences. <laughs> All right, So, when you found this, or when you thought of this, what were you thinking? Like, what, what kind of creature? You didn't see a description of the creature, right?
4: No, actually, one of my. Uh, one of the ladies from the fan club uh, was pushing around this, like you should talk about mermaids and mermaids. And I was like looking up Midwest, like different cryptids, and then I the uh, Michigan merman came up, and I was
2: like, ah, that sounds good. I'm gonna bet she was about seventy-two,
4: about seventy-seven, seventy-one point five ish.
2: Most of the women in the Sean fan club are right at that age where they're about to become exhibits at the Smithsonian.
4: Yeah, she wasn't. She didn't hit the seventy-two year old mark yet. She's still like a youngin, seventy-one and a half. You know, she's not <laughs> not all the way up
2: there yet. And then before we get into this, uh, it's just oh yeah, you didn't even tell me what do you think this creature looks like before we get into it.
4: Now, for some reason, it just think of I think of like a fish and a human, if uh, like as a, a centaur, <laughs> like a fish and a human.
2: Yeah, so more classical. Yeah, classical. Yeah okay, and I'm not gonna tell if you're right or wrong for a little bit, but I mean that's when I heard it. That's kind of what I pictured, you know, a much more classical shaped mermaid. uh This this mermaid may or may not look like Danny DeVito, and <laughs> a catfish had a baby.
4: <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to see that kind of fish. That's that's not the mermaid that they the mermaids they sold us when we were growing up. It's not up. Ariel.
2: <laughs> it's Ariel's uncle Danny. And he stinks. <laughs> <laughs> before we before we fully get invested in this, I do want to say that uh, it should be, if, I, if I'm looking at the calendar, right, either this weekend or next weekend is the Freudian Airwaves event. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be there presenting. We got a really cool show put together. You can get your tickets down below. There's still some room left. It's going to be a fun weekend. I know me and Sean at the end of Saturday night, I believe, are going to do a shot contest.
4: Got it. That's what we do.
2: And I got a lot of—I know a lot of fans have already got a hold of me asking what flavors of moonshine to bring and all this stuff. So it's going to be a lot. And remember, the bar—we have a bar. We have our private bar for this event. It is a cash bar, though. So if you're like me, you better bring a big wad of cash,
4: drinking money.
2: <laughs> I'm just gonna—I think what I'm gonna do is just buy a bottle, and just be like, you know, just just leave that bottle of Crown Apple down there until I start drinking moonshine. That's the smartest it's gonna be, way, man. It's yeah. going to be a rough weekend.
4: It's going to be fun though, you know. We're gonna. It's going to be a ball, but
2: I'm going to drink like a monster. Uh oh,
4: that—that's you know that happens. You know, it's uh, unwind time, right? It's a uh, tis mm-hmm. the, tis the season. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Especially because we only live like a block away, me and you. So yeah. we can just wobble back. Just we'll be there.
4: We'll weeble wobble it. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> weeble wobble and won't fall down. All right. So the credit for this article comes from Adam Benedict. We've used his work on many of the shows before. Uh, Adam Benedict is a, uh, fa- a really, really good researcher. Uh, but yeah, so he also runs the, uh, oh gosh, the Pine Barrens Institute. And he writes a really good article. So he had, one on, he had one on this actual encounter. So we're going to use that. You ready to get into it? Yes. All right. Since ancient man first settled around, five great, or around the Five Great Lakes region, in what would now be known as the Great North America. Strange and unexplained stories have continuously filtered out along the shorelines into the ears of everyone who would listen. The range of stories of both Native Americans and European settlers told were vast and encompassing a swoo of different topics, and many of the people today couldn't even begin to imagine. Deep-rooted tales involving gods and monsters, ancient magic and ghosts, lost treasure, supernatural weather, and even those mysterious little people. While these stories themselves are all unique and not often connected in terms of subject matter, one thing is for certain. There is a strong link between these tales and the fact that they all originate in and around the water. And not just any water, mind you, the Great Lakes water. The vast inland sea have long been a source of wonder and awe for all those who are upon them. They have helped provide for the benefits of those lives who have built strong relationships with in the base upon request or upon respect. But on the opposite side of the coin, they have also taken lives of those who have sought to control them and master their power. You liking it so far? Yeah, it's it's pretty
4: thorough. It's kind of where I thought it was going to go so far. Like, I thought it was going to be something really good.
2: So since, uh, how many shipwrecks do you think there's been in the Great Lakes since the settlement, the White Settlement?
4: And then White Settlement, what year would that be? like 1700s 1700s to now yeah i don't know like 100,000
2: see i i think i was with you closer to those kind of like you know so there's been 6,000 documented mm. but a uh, uh, upper estimate is 15,000 okay shipwrecks we mean cargo ships and large ships mm. and sailing ships uh not all the boats and everything like that and i think me and you were on that same wave- wavelength of just because I watched a boat go down in Lake Michigan one time fishing for salmon. I just watched it sink. And I was just like, well, there's another one. Yeah, that's, that's what fish I thought habitat. You meant
4: any boats. I was like, any boat? Like a little fishery right. boat? Like, <laughs> but that makes more sense
2: to the cargo yeah. ones. Large ships. So there's five lakes, Superior, Huron, Michigan, Erie, and Ontario. Uh, the birds have become the final resting place of an estimated 30,000 mariners. So 30,000 shipgoers, 30,000 crew members have died and sunk to the bottom of Lake Michigan, or the Great Lakes region, many of which were never recovered. The sheer number of souls that have been lost within these waters can easily get one thinking of the possibilities of what may something more going on within these lakes than originally thought. There may be a force at work under the water that decides the fate of those who dare entice it. Something magical, something supernatural, something godlike, something as crazy as it is it to believe. Like a merman. Pum bum, bum. The fascinating story of the Great Lakes Merman has been a deep history, and it all goes all the way back to the year of 1782. So on this show, this is one of the older ones we've ever covered. That's not like an ancient historic one, like the Loch Ness Monster or something of that nature, you know, because uh, it seems like everything's either within the last 150 years or 4,000 years ago. Yeah, no in between. <laughs> There's not a lot in between. Uh, the legend revolves around a voyager and a merchant from a small town of Rick Rip Attantague, we're going to Rip Attantague by right. the name of Verint Saint Germain. His encounter was recorded as taking place on May third. It's reported to have occurred in the Isles of Pete, also known as Pie Island. Uh, Pie Island is a popular tourist attraction today. They don't have any pies on the island though. Oh. Now they have a pie shop. Located roughly between Isles Royal and the Canadian shoreline of Lake Superior. Retellings of this tale himself as a witness, St. Germain uh, swore to the two official judges of the court of Kings and the branch of the district of Montreal and P.L. Piat and one J.O. Olden on November 13th, 1812. Tw- uh, so uh, he came to uh, the King's court and had sworn testimony in front of two judges and basically, a king's representative. Uh, so this was a really big deal. Like these are very high end people for their, the government at the time, and taking taking their time to tell a story of a merman and not be true would be a very uh, serious crime.
4: Because you'd look foolish, right? Like you'd look like, what are you talking about? You're running this show, and you're talking about this mythical creature.
2: Yeah, they they'd probably hang him on site. Whew. uh for wasting this high of censorship so (laughs) so basically this would be like the supreme court of modern day u.s so he's taking up that that version of their time to tell this tale so it's a very serious matter is all i'm trying to get at for all the listeners at home that he made it all the way up to this so there's a lot of evidence for this so speaking truthfully and under no pressure from others St. Germain told the shocking ju- or the shocked judges everything that occurred that night on the lake 30 years prior. What you are about to hear is the same tale that it was originally told for over 208 years ago. So I'm about to get into it. So he did this willingly, uh, and he actually had some of his friends from the original encounter come forward and do this with him. So it's a very—when you picked this, I wasn't sure what was it was going to be, and this was a very cool story, and these are one of the ones I live for. And so I'm really excited. But I'm going to take a drink of moonshine before we continue. Sponsored by? Uh, Old Smokey. Old Smoky. I wish. Old Smokey, if you're listening to this, I will take a sponsorship. We do not mind. Uh, no. I mean, you don't really force it in my hand. So during a routine fur trading trip that, this lake has take, or that was taking place is what is now known as Thunder Bay. Funny thing, I almost went to Thunder Bay ice fishing one year. Uh, Vantant Saint Germain, and three unnamed companions, and an old—I can never say this Indian tribes, this Native American tribes name right. Ojibwe, Ojibwe. I could never get it right. I'm always wrong on it. It's like it sounds right heard to me. It. Ojibwe, as I think the closest I've ever gotten. That's but pretty it's not good. not quite to, right. That's
4: like 76 percent. That's a C. That's it's passing.
2: close. It's like, it's a definitely an A grade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and an older uh, Objiwe woman who was traveling with the party as a means to reach uh, their persons who were traveling with, or sorry, a mean to reach a separate destination, departed from the Grand Portage region. This is currently, resides within the Minnesota along the U.S. and Canadian border. So, uh, and made their way towards the Pi Island in order to set up camp for the night. Leading from the south end of the island, St. Germain instructed the three men to help him set fishing nets for their night in order to secure additional food for the trip. The process, which was complete with just about a little bit before sunset, took place in an area that was flooded with natural beauty and provided an awe-inspiring to all who looked upon it. Uh, This part of the world is not traveled very often still to this day, and it is absolutely gorgeous. People don't realize that on the Canadian-U.S. border there are still places that are so far unconnected. And I'm not talking about the Yukon or something like that. You know, we're talking Minnesota and Canada. And when you go around this Pine Island area, there could be a mammoth 10 feet into the tree line off the road and you would never know it was there. So that's one of these truly things. So when we start talking about a merman, it's like, well, you know, that's a lot smaller than a mammoth. And, you know, so it could be found.
4: And, and could easily be hidden around there, you know, just... Sitting in some spot, like a mammoth is a little bigger, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And
2: as far as the Great Lakes are concerned, they're massive. Mm-hmm. They are bigger than some seas on the planet. Uh, and that's individual, like Lake Michigan, Huron, and stuff like that are as large as some of the seas on the world. It's just, you know, it, it's hard because Erie, I think most people's experiences with the Great Lake is either the very tip of Lake Michigan. Because it's so, you know, vertical. Mm -hmm. You don't see, it's hard for you to rationalize. It's like how big it is. And then Erie, which is, you know, the the thinnest, but it's very long. You get out and then the islands, the giant islands in the middle of it kind of give it the look that it's not as big as it is. You know, you don't realize some of these islands are the size of cities out there. Yeah. And I think it's, people get the wrong idea. I've been on Huron and I've been way out on Michigan and... It's just massive. So Lake Michigan, uh, you know, gets over a thousand feet deep in some areas, if not, you know, and greater than that. We were fishing six hundred feet for king salmon a couple years ago. Six hundred feet of water, and we'd watch a king salmon burst up from the depths, you know, to hit our lure that was only a hundred feet. Yeah. Down. So what? It was something chasing those king salmon. bum, bum. Bum,
4: bum, bum. bum. I like king so, salmon.
2: As he was making his way back towards camp, St. Germain decided to take the side of it for one final time before the sun officially disappeared into the darkness and took over the landscape. But when he turned to stare upon the majesty of Lake Superior, the seasoned woodman instead laid eyes upon something he had never seen before. For in the water, roughly, and this is his quote, an area or an acre or three quarters of an acre distance from the bank is where he stood. St. Germain witnessed a creature, which appeared due to him to be half man, half animal. Utterly amazed by what he was seeing, the fur trader approached the edge of the water and stared as the mysterious being for what seemed to be forever. He recorded, as it was, you know, probably actually three to four minutes interrupted. The creature, which followed suit, stared back at him. St. Germain, in his accounts of the incident to the two judges, described the strange creatures having the body of which resembled a human down to its waist, which stopped at the waterline. Unfortunately for the Voyager, though, he was unable to see the creature, what the creature looked like below the water, as much too dark to see clearly. The visible part of the body was described as appearing to be what looked like almost a child, around the age of seven or eight. And it was really small in size for some unknown reason. Held its long, odd-looking right arm into the air because of this position Saint-Germain was able to distinctly see the hand with fingers, almost identical to that of a full-grown man. And the other arm remained in the water. So, so far, you have a very human-like, hairy creature with a long arm and a big hand. Does this sound very mermaid-like to you yet?
4: Not really. It sounds pretty... Uh Uh, It sounds like a different type of merman, not like the one that we were uh, discussing, not like the Aquaman kind. It's like an Aquaman mutant kind of (laughs) one.
2: Or, we'll get to later, maybe a completely different cryptid that just happened to be in the water. Because keep in mind, it's standing. It's It's not swimming. It's not floating. It's just standing. It's out there standing. So studying the creature... With focused attention, the woodsman took note of the face, which strongly resembled that of a small human being. Its eyes were described as being brilliant. Its nose was small in size, but strong in shape. So I kind of looked into that. The best I can describe that as in the modern day is the nose was really close to the face, but very wide.
4: Well... It reminds me of like I don't know if you ever seen this cartoon from the eighties. It's called the, the Wuzzles.
2: And that name sounds familiar. I'll, I'll look it up here in a minute. It's like these like well they
4: basic it's so crazy because, the concept of the cartoon is like all the animals in it are like crossbreeds. Like they got like I think a lion and a bumblebee or, uh, like an elephant and a kangaroo or something. Like they mash them together and there's these okay. you know,
2: new creatures.
4: That's what it kind of reminds me of.
2: Kind of is. So, why was I? So the nose, the ears were noticeable and well-formed, and the mouth was prominent to an oversized of the head. So it has a really small or well-formed ears, and it's got a big mouth. The skin complexion of the creature was recorded as being a brownish in hue, and the expression on its face appeared to be a mixture of both unease and curiosity. St. Germain also noticed that the creature did not appear to have very long and flowing hair, but rather that its body was covered in a woolly-like substance that looked to be only an inch long. So it's completely covered in this wool-like hair, this short woolly hair.
0: Mm.
2: The off- or the official court documents describe this hair as being grayish black to the color and quote unquote similar to that which grows on the heads of African Americans. Uh, they didn't have African Americans in this 1780 or this 1812 documentary. Uh, they used some other colorful words. I replaced it with African-American. <laughs> uh, so St. Germain and the strange water creature continued to stare at each other f- without moving. Their curiosity towards one another had locked into a place as means as taking everything they could regarding their subject of focus. At this moment, neither man nor merman were on a higher level than the other. They were equal subjects on a level playing field and decided to understand one another. That all changed, though, when the additional members of St. Germain's party proceeded toward the shoreline. It took sight of the strange being in the water. So they were pretty much deadlocked on staring at each other until the other guys start running up and see this woolly, human-like, long-armed, big-hand, wide-mouthed monster laying in it with African-American hair.
4: It almost sounds like Bigfoot mated with a merman, you know, or a mermaid,
2: <laughs> or it's an African American kid, and they never seen one.
4: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> They're like, "What we'll is get that?" To that.
2: <laughs> Colorful language. So, when the three men approached the deeply focused Voyager, if he was, and then he's kind of suddenly snapped out of his trace. The desire to understand what he was looking at was instantly replaced by the strong impulse to capture the creature by any means possible. <laughs> So in order to carry out this important act, St. Germain rushed to get his gun as quick as a flash, turned back towards the water, and took aim. With his experience and skill that only comes from those who have been in the heated of the unforgiving wilderness, St. Germain raised the weapon, planted his feet on uneven ground beneath him, steadied his hand, and pulled the trigger. But one thing he had not accounted for was he had been basically shoulder-checked by the, uh, or as he was shooting the aquatic being, he was shoulder-checked by the old woman. The old woman who had allowed them to accompany their party on a trip across the water. The old woman who had lived her entire life along the banks of these dangerous bodies of water. The old woman who had grown up hearing the stories and legends of magical beings who are called respect, or called and demand the respect in their places of home. The old woman who knew exactly what this mysterious creature was and what would happen if he actually hit it with a bullet. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. So without hesitation, the old o- o- Ojibwe woman dashed towards St. Germain, grabbed him by his clothes, pulled him towards the ground. The scuffle ensued along the water's edge, in which the woman attempted to remove the gun from the woodsman's grip in order to protect him and the creature in the water. Unwilling to let go of his weapon, St. Germain removed himself from her hands of the old woman and jumped back to his feet. But unfortunately for him, and lucky for the creature, the mysterious being had snuck back into this under the surface of the water and disappeared from view. Furious at what he had just occurred, Saint Germain approached the old woman and demanded she explain herself for what took place. So, after raising to her feet once again, the old woman dusted the sand off her clothes and began to tell the voyager everything he wanted to know about the creature. Any thoughts so far, Jean?
4: I am kind of uh, lost a little bit now because I'm like was trying to guess
2: that it was this that like there's a lot of tor- twists and turns. Mm hmm. It's like I said, this is a cool story. And there's tons and tons of court documents to go along with this story. Uh, so, yeah. So basically he's going to shoot this thing and she sees this. She instantly recognizes the creature from all of her, their folklore, all their stories where she grew up. And she tackles this young, straf fur trader, this old, Ojibwe woman. I mean, she could easily have been, uh, you know, he, he could have easily shot her right after this. So she felt pretty prominent that she needed to protect this creature for some reason. So the old woman explained that the creature he so casually decided to sh- uh, show off as a trophy was in reality known to the area as the god of the water. This mythical being of the Ojibwe language is known as. Okay, I'm going to try to pronounce this word. (laughs) Everybody, I don't speak Ojibwe. May, May, Giawishia. May, May, Giawishia. It's a type of water spirit that is believed to be somewhat of a cross between the classic description of merfolk and sirens. So, uh, very peaceful and very dangerous. They are also said to possess childlike bodies with adult features and occasionally are seen to be covered in some sort of strange-looking hair. The Ojibwe legend claims that the Meimei Mei Agashua lived uh, within the rocky crevices and caves surrounding the Lake Superior. And now I have an editor's note for you. Along with being known as the Meimei Agiwashia, Mei o- there's an additional text that states the god of the water is also known as... Okay, I'm going to try to say this name. <laughs> But for my protection, it literally says unpronounceable in parentheses.
4: (laughs) So give it the old college try.
2: I'm going to give it. There's a lot of A's, U's, and W's. A couple K's. (laughs) Ni, (laughs) ba, un, a, un, bik e, waka, waka, uka. I, that is not how that is said. hundred percent. you just say
4: like a spell, man? I I swear. I hope we're not like. I hope not. <laughs> no, Don't say it again. No. <laughs> I I don't think I could. I think we're good because I think it's like if, like Beetlejuice. As long as we don't say it three times, we should be okay. We're good.
2: But it's literally in parentheses from the editor's note. It says unpronounceable. <laughs> The Ojibwe of modern day can't even say this word. They feel proper. You know what?
4: We got to actually get props to the editor because that's pretty humble of them. You know, like, hey, I couldn't pronounce it either, so don't feel bad.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, he talked to some Ojibwe's to get this legend, and they couldn't pronounce it.
4: Man, that's crazy.
2: And so he's just like, yeah, they couldn't do it. I'm not going to try. <laughs> uh, so the creature is said to be more in the lines with the classic description of morfolk as it's described as being a human on top and fish on bottom. In the versions of the legend, the creatures often will attempt to abduct human beings from the shoreline, drag them down to the lake, and magically turn them into more of their own kind. So this is a weird connection with uh, everything from water babies of out west to an Australian, the Red Man cryptid of Mm -hmm. Australia, which literally swallows people to make them turn into other ones of its kind. Along with the hatred towards people, these merfolk are also said to be able to transform themselves into full-blown humans to walk along land. Now, this is a cool thing because they have the exact same legend in South America with pink dolphins. Uh, that's why pink dolphins were almost hunted to extinction for their left eye because they thought they were mermaids, and the mermaid's left eye is supposed to bring you fortune. Oh. So they literally almost killed all the pink dolphins of the Amazon for their left eye because they thought they were mermaids. Jokes on them, some of them were. <laughs> uh, this is said to affect their transformation. Oh, sorry, yeah. This is tried to affect their transformation as they plunge into terrible eyesight and are nearly blind with the sun. To combat this, when they transform, they will only walk on land during stormy weather or at night. So in their legends, it's said to be wary of a man or a woman that appears during the storms. I'll go back to the story. Continuing on with her story, as well as to attempt to bring St. Germain up to speed with the creature and save her life, the old woman would explain... Why she only, or only reacted in that way she did, but also that she felt they needed to tussle with, the party or with his party leader. According to her, since the creature was believed to be a water guide, those who live along the lake all believed that it possessed multitude of magical abilities. One of these abilities, it is thought, that allows the creature to control weather in any way it sees fit. And since St. Germain attempted to shoot the mysterious being, the old woman was fearful that they would be summoned upon by a violent storm in order to punish them for their ways that they behaved. Believing the old woman's tale to be nothing more than nonsensical children's stories, the voyager turned away and head back to her camp. He remained in his mindset of the majority of the evening. But when the clock struck 11, his entire belief system was starting to be challenged. So she said, yeah, these are water gods. If you even mess with them a little bit, they'll wipe out whole villages with these monster storms. And the Great Lake regions are known for, you know, these giant storm systems. Uh, so she was like, just, she was more trying to save her own skin and everybody else's skin by getting them not to shoot at the thing.
4: Yeah, because then we're all in trouble.
2: Not, yeah, not even just this party, this whole coastline. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking a drink.
4: It's always good to take a drink every now and then. So, because these are the type oh. of stories that, uh, y- you know, another spin's coming soon.
2: Oh yeah, no, it, it gets it gets good, it gets good. He tries to seduce the mermaid, just a little, just a little, you know. So it was said by Saint Germain and recorded by the two other judges. And later night that night, a storm of are ter- terrific proportions enveloped in the island's camp and assaulted them with violent winds and dangerous waves for three solid days. The lake would appear to think of itself and seemingly recognize where the Voyagers were holding up. Slowly rising higher as it crept forward for five members of the team, had no choice but to huddle together for safety in the middle of the island at its highest point. The old woman, who admittedly believed that St. Germain was responsible for the situation at hand, told the men that due to the actions of one— The god of the water was punishing them all. It would not stop until every person had been dashed to pieces upon the rocks surrounding the island. But fortunately for them all, the storm broke after the gargling. Fortunately for them all, the storm had broke after uh, uh, 72 hours gave away to clear skies, allowing them to leave the island and continue their journey.
0: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, Buy rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.
2: So, this old lady was fully trying to get them to kill St. Germain. Uh, she was kind of nudging everybody and being like, hey, uh, the storm's only really mad at one of us.
4: <laughs>
2: you know, the storm's like not mad at us all. We're just all happy to be on the island here. Could together. you
4: just get like a little baby storm and,
2: and, like and just... maybe, uh, maybe if somebody pushed him outside the storm would be happy and we gotta leave and you know those other guys are sitting there for a second thinking like
4: not idea." this
2: old lady's right not a bad idea <laughs> and saint germain was definitely holding on to that rifle so when asked by the judges uh, whether he believed the storms and his party had encountered was truly that of the work of the merman saint germain stated that while he and that evening was strange it is unlikely anything that he encountered before. Or, sorry, it was unlike anything he had encountered before. So the storm was of a level he had never seen, and he'd been in this area of fur trapping for years. Um, uh, he said, not fully believing, without a doubt, that the work it was the work of the mythical god of water. So he completely changes to and he 100% believes it. The reason he gave is that while they were not personally encountered the storm of that exact size and fury while on the lake itself until that point, He had heard of many other voyagers who have dealt with these identical storms like that one. So it was well known within the ability of nature to produce such events. He also recognized that the fact of these prior and any large storms which occurred on the lake, fish have been a tendency to gather in large groups near the surface and are known to jump more frequently to show themselves in the water. Whether or not any large yet common fish were responsible for taking on the appearance of the merman as prior to the storm, St. Germain was not able to uh, accurately say. But he was also not able to rule out the possibility. So he's kind of going, he's trying to play devil's advocate up here so he doesn't, you know, probably get hung, saying that while he's never experienced a storm like this and he feels it may have been the work of the mermaid, he knows other people that have experienced the same storm, the same size storms, and giant fish in the Great Lakes are known to become much more active. Uh, but keep in mind in his original story, he said that he sat above the water for four or five minutes had giant long monkey arms with a big human hand and a human face. Yeah. So for 30 years, St. Germain not only lived with the memory of what he saw that night on the lake in 1782, but he also wrestled with his own beliefs, whether or not what he seen was actually a merman. The rationally grounded and well-seasoned woodsman understood what had occurred that night may have been nothing more than a series of coincidences, and they were enhanced by the old woman's stories. The other side of him thought, though, that the one who was he had personally seen a visit unexplained to the things of the water over the course of his many years could not so easily claim that he saw was not a mermaid, or merman, sorry. This possibility grew even stronger after he met other fur traders in the area who had all claimed to see the same creature. They said it was a common sight on Pie Island to see this creature, and it was common knowledge to turn away and walk away.
4: So it was like one creature, like, from what everybody thought, at least like they yeah, they, they at least this same. one
2: individual was calling Pie Island home. Gotcha. Uh, so where all the voyagers experiencing the exact same shared delusion in different locations, or maybe just maybe where there a little bit of the truth to these old stories. So, uh, so I'm, I'll continue, but that's a good one, Sean. While seeing the mer beings would make a, for an interesting chapter in anyone's life story. The universe may not yet be done with placing St. Germain's uh, in, into interesting situations. In 1821, roughly 39 years after seeing the merman, only nine years after telling the story before the judges of St. Germain found himself in Fort Pandaby, a fur trading post owned by the Northwest Company. Which he is said to be the first fur trading post in North Dakota and was located just below present day the United States-Canadian border. According to the story, St. Germain was uh, preparing to leave the fort, but he realized he had forgotten something. Believing that he knew where it was, the man ventured back inside and started looking into what was known as Indian Hill. Indian Hall, I'm sorry. At the same time, the fellow fur trader and a friend of St. Germain by the name of Joseph Rainville arrived at the trading post and ventured inside. As Rainville entered the door, St. Germain was uh, descending down the stairs with what he had forgotten object in the hand. Upon seeing one another, they exchanged pleasantries. Rainville said in a joking way, What would you say if I were to bring you the carcass down like a bear? Knowing that his friend was a terrible shot, St. Germain responded in a way to, is to believe in a similar classic, I'd like to see you try. Basically, he's like saying, What if I try to shoot you like a bear? Like I just, I'd like to see you try. Not one to let a good, friendly jab go without another, Rainville grabbed his own weapon off the wall, and left it in the scene of previous winter, uh, took aim and continued to make jokes towards his friend. So his friends coming down, so Saint Germain's coming down the stairs. Rainville's like, "Hey, you know, you old fool. What if I, what if I try to shoot you like a bear?" And Saint Germain's like, "You could try. You're you're a horrible shot."
4: Yeah. You're, so you're Rainville
2: grabs the gun off the mantle and points it at Saint Germain.
4: Like, how close are they? Like, is this a they're kind in a, of... They're in the they're in a room together. So it's like a... It doesn't probably tell you, but let's say, like, maybe like a living room?
2: Yeah, okay. I'd say a, a large living room. Okay. They're within 20 feet of each other, easily. Okay. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's just... I told you, this is a good story. Oh, <laughs> it really is. It's detailed, uh, as, too, man. Like, they really... I, it's... Adam Benedict does great work. I cannot sing his praise high enough. Uh, so... As the two men laughed, Rainville jokingly pulled the trigger of the old weapon and to astonishment, to hear the gun go off. Bang. Uh, Yeah. In shock, Rainville looked up and saw St. Germain slumped back against the wall, Uh. blood pouring out from beneath his clothes. Rainville ran towards the staircase and upon reaching his friend, he heard him calmly and composed respond, You have killed me, my friend. (laughs) The bullet jokingly fired from the gun from a friend had entered through the left side below the ribcage and exited the body through the right side under the arm. Four hours later, St. Germain had died.
4: And the, uh, this like kind of an sound antique. like a Midwest thing, though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a way to
2: die in North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think they have at least nine deaths like this a year in North Dakota. Easy. Easy. Ever since the encounter between St. Germain and the Merman, or the Merman took over eight, 238 years ago, there had been a steadily stream of strange sightings filtering out of Lake Superior. But all five of the Great Lakes, chilling reports of unexplained creatures, strange weather patterns, haunting phenomena, odd lights, and sounds have been recorded and experienced by sailors out on the open and vast inland sea. Even those who only use the lake for recreational are often reporting encountering strange and unusual things that appear just below the surface. After these strange encounters, nothing more than an illusion created by our minds? Or is there something waiting? just out of view in the murky water or of these tales of bizarre and mysterious merfolks, as many of these reliable individuals and trustworthy witnesses are truly occurring in our great lakes. Yeah. How'd you like it? I
4: think that it made me question a lot of things. Like it made me think more than just mermen or mermaids. It made me think of something different. Like that this creature may be something else completely.
2: So I got my list for you, and we'll go over them, and I'll see what you think Okay. of what this could be. Everything from biologic to more mythical. Flat out, first one is what well, is considered a classical merman or mermaid or merfolk. What do you think about that?
4: Now, we're not saying, are we trying to figure out if there is just that, or can we say that there could be a combined of some of these things? Because, like, what- whatever... I, I'd say because I think there's some possibility of, of the mermen and mermaids being in that area for sure.
2: I do think... I'm talking specifically about this encounter. Okay, then I'm going to say I don't think
4: it's a merman, no.
2: I'm right there with you. Uh, the hairy body, the black skin, the African-American hair, the long arms with the giant hands, and the wide mouth, doesn't scream mermaid to me. And he never seen the lower half. Mm-hmm. The only thing that is remotely merman as it was standing in uh, what appeared to be, you know, waist-deep water. But everything can go in the water. Yeah. I've seen buffalo swimming.
4: Yeah. (laughs) That's a fact. Anything can go in the water. And if it's able to swim, uh, definitely the the description does not sound whatsoever. I think the only reason the assumption was uh, like merman was because they're in the water.
2: Exactly, I think you're right. I think it's right there. So, my next one for you, and this is one that I think you've probably already got to. Bigfoot. He's seen a small Bigfoot. This Bigfoot are known to be good swimmers. Was out there the long arms with giant hands, the childlike features, because only about four to five foot tall. Yeah, but the extremely long arms, the short hair, but wool like hair. The blackish brownish skin, everything about this to me kind of screams a juvenile Bigfoot. And what do we know about juvenile Bigfoots? Is that one of their? It's what appears to be one of their defense mechanisms, is they freeze. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when they get in like and they're in the open and stuff. So these shallow water bars around Pie Island are famous for muscle beds. So it's a big food source that he could have been openly trying to harvest. And this guy with a gun comes around the corner, and what do you do? You go, oh, uh, oh, don't shoot.
4: Please, white man. And they already kind of know what they are. And, and then, that, yeah, no, I could see the correlation. And I did think that at first, too, like it made a lot of sense because it was like, okay, Bigfoot, the hairy, the, 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 the features looking so grim, almost like, you know, the... The first man. What do they say? The the, the missing link. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How did they try to say that? Uh, so
2: the nose The nose is a good one for mm-hmm. me. Uh, it appears to be almost... They can, I kind of tried to look up how they were describing it, and it kind of almost seemed like a gorilla to me. Yeah. Is or that, you know, orangutan,
4: kind of like that's... What yeah.
2: It's very wide, but it's not very long. Like our noses, mm-hmm. you know, they stick off our faces. But it's still prominent, but not long. Uh, The long hand... The big hands on the sh- long, thin arms you know uh from all of our eyewitness accounts that i personally believe that have seen juvenile sasquatch they are kind of like these long thin lanky apes you know until the, pro- probably until they get to their teenage years when they start putting on bulk you know that's what a lot of animals do they get sense. their frames built out first and then they start putting on bulk cuz even when you uh, look at like baby moose you know what i mean like yeah. same thing or buffalo or any yep. cows you know any of these big bulky animals they they get big they get lanky first and then they start putting on that mass. So what do you think about that one?
4: I, I think there's a—let me let me put a 25% on that
2: one. 25%? Okay. I have a magical one for you. The fey folk. Okay. So the fey folk here in North America take many shapes and forms. So is this a forest fey folk that happen to be caught off guard? Uh, the magical powers of nature— would kind of lead to this if anybody at home wants to believe that the storm was directly related. So uh, I may have misread it or maybe not read it the best. The judges looked back on that court or on that day and there was a massive storm recorded on that day. Mm-hmm. So the storm was documented on the day he said it happened. So at least we know that that is factual, that the, 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 that area had a massive storm that day. So the Fay Folk would be a good point to this. Uh, they're also known as the little people here in North America, and he shot at one of them, or was gonna shoot at one of them. Uh, he did shoot a round out, but you know he missed. Hopefully he missed. Yeah. Uh, I think if he wouldn't have missed, he'd be dead. Uh, especially the northern Fey folk are known to take grudges, like the Nye Rouge that are in uh, in uh, Detroit, is held like a three hundred year a three hundred year grudge over people. So what's your fae folk thoughts?
4: Well, that's funny you say that. That the uh, ne rouge is what I was kind of like going to compare it to. Into like the fae folk, I'm gonna have to put like a good eighty five percent on that one because yeah. the controlling of the weather, the uh, when when they say that they're gods, you know, a lot of people like mistake fae folk as like angels or like god like mm-hmm. uh, creatures. I-, I gotta get a strong eighty five for that for me.
2: Eighty five. Now, here's one that may throw you for a loop. You may never thought of for this. We're actually seeing a lizard person coming out of the water. Oh, yeah,
4: no, that's that's a that's a good one. The one I thought was what if it was a shapeshifter?
2: Now, I could see that the Native Americans have a lot of legends of that. Uh, the fae folk or spirits kind of you know could kind of fit into that too. Yeah,
4: that's why when you said fae, I was like yeah, fae folk for
2: sure. It's so very s- that yeah. is in that same realm, that same toolbox. So for lizard people, they're known to inhabit these lakes and waters around the world, uh, and I'm talking more of not reptilians as in yeah. you know the the ones running the government, more of the the bipedal lizards that try to eat everything.
4: The ones that are alright, uh, they just try to eat you.
2: Yeah, they're more wild. They're not. They don't have any big conspiracy. They just want to eat your dog. <laughs> so, the uh, Charles Mill Lake Monster was a lizard person here in Ohio, and it was first thought to be a Bigfoot because it came out and it was covered in aquatic vegetation. Mm. It had and it looked like it had fur because the uh, it's called raccoon tail or uh, coon t- coon tail reeds, and they look like fur. And it was all wrapped up in that. And when it came up, they're like, it's a big, you know, it's a big. And then it started sloshing off. I'm like, oh, that's much worse. Yeah, much worse. And then they ran. So that's just one I thought of to throw in there to be like, maybe it's a lizard person that's all covered in fur.
4: I kind of like that one only because sometimes eyewitnesses are not like, not that they're lying. But when you're describing something and you're seeing something for the first time. I'm going to still lean the highest percentage with the Fey Folk, but I'm going to give that one a little bit of like a good 35%, 40% because I know that people misjudge things sometimes. If they see it with all this sludge all over the chest, like whether it be reefs or like, you know, swamp stuff that looks kind mm-hmm. of, maybe it's not hair, maybe it's not dark, but it's weird lighting. But the only thing that leads me a little bit more to the Fae Folk is just the con- whole controlling of the weather.
2: And then you just made a really good comment, too, is that keep in mind, everybody at home, this is right before sunset. This is the poorest lighting of the day. And so he's describing this in great detail, being almost an acre away, which for everybody, uh, that's like 40-ish yards, uh, depending on where you're from. Uh, It's about 40-ish yards a square acre. And then... Uh, describing it so forty yards away in the dark in the water, not dark in the dusk in the water, with all this great detail was something I kind of questioned. That I do think he had a real encounter, but some of the really high end detail maybe in his either his own mind or he started the story started to grow when he was telling it, which does happen a lot with these things. So my next one is: Have you ever heard of a stellar sea ape? No. So a stellar sea, the stellar voyage, uh, stellar uh, described a lot of in Alaska in the Canadian coast. Uh, he's a, he's a biologist in the seventeen hundreds that described a whole lot of new marine life for the Pacific Ocean. They took a long way around, and he was the one that developed that actually found the stellar sea cow before they ate them all and they went extinct, which is the biggest manatee ever. You know, it was a whale sized manatee, forty to fifty feet long. A,
4: a whale sized manatee,
2: yeah. Wow, forty to fifty feet long, right around forty to fifty thousand pounds, or forty to fifty tons. I'm sorry, it's almost a hundred thousand pounds. Jeez, and we ate them all because they tasted like horse. <laughs> Everybody said they tasted like horse. Uh, they look they were easy crazy, to kill man. Like I'm looking at some stellar sea apes of or them. stellar
4: sea cows. I got stellar sea apes.
2: Yeah. So he described. So keep in mind, this is a naturalist. Okay. In his naturalist journal describing all these animals that we know exist and in the middle of it was the stellar sea ape. And he didn't ever make no comment of it, no mention of it, anything weird. He just was as he was going through his nature descri- you know describing all these species he was finding, it was right dead smack in the middle. And he said it was very similar to that of a baboon at the top half. Uh, you know it had long arms. it had what appeared to be a human monkeyish face, short brown fur, a black face any skin that was exposed was black, but a very seal-like hind end. Uh, so not quite fish, but he said very seal-like. And he said it must be some kind of aquatic ape. You know, he was, he was very, uh, this is a high-ed naturalist and stuff like that, so he was very much on this. And what's really points out to me is nobody knew he found this thing for years. Like, he didn't come back saying, I found an aquatic ape. He turned in his journals to the museums and just, you know, here's all the species that I documented, here you go. And it was just in the mix with everything else, from all the starfish to the sea cow to the stellar sea eagle. Like a lot of stuff's called the stellar sea eagle, the stellar sea cow, the stellar sea stars, because he's the one that described them Mm -hmm. officially. So all these animals were well-documented on the next voyages. So this is one that I think may be a possibility, that if there was a fishy part of this, and not fishy, but this marine ape theory and this has come along a lot with mermaids in the past, with all these other mermaids, is the aquatic ape theory, uh, specifically dealing with humans and merfolk that are very much human-related. They think that if you want to believe in classical evolution, that we developed our upright posture from starting to sur- or to, starting to hunt in tidal areas because it's easier to hunt, like a bird, and to gather food. And they think that if you believe in this classical evolution theory, that's what actually helped us develop bigger brains is the amino acid found in sea life is much better for mammals than the amino acids found in traditional meats on land. So what if humans on that step took one step further? So there's this tribe in the Pacific Ocean that they actually have the densest bones of any human race on the planet because they've been doing this so long. They don't have any land where they're from. All their houses are on stilts. They have no land. But what they do is they sink And the young kids got to put rocks in their pockets Because they're not big enough yet But the adult men Don't have to do it Uh, And they walk along the ocean and they hunt with spear guns And they hunt with spears And that's how they they get their food It's we're watching A whole nother human race Develop becoming a whole Different thing or in the processes of doing this So what if this thing Was one that did it 100,000 years ago Yeah, no, 200,000 years ago that it was just popped in. It's been this thing. They're very rare, I think, if they are still around in, in any measurable means. They're very rare. And what if he's seen a stellar sea ape? What do you think?
4: That's that's a good one because it makes sense. And when you're talking uh, about those people that are living on stilts, it kind of reminded me of Kevin Costner in Waterworld. You know, very much. You know what I mean? And if something hundreds of years ago, try. you know what I mean, like, thousands of years ago really like it could be i think that's very logical because when by the time they saw i know it's hundred years ago for from us to this story but before that they would have like made the transition and there's got to be other kinds of animals too right there's tons of stuff that has gone extinct i gotta say i'll give that a 50 percent. there's got to be a good 50 percent chance for that being too
2: now that's probably my second highest rated one for me personally
4: yeah,
2: yeah, I'll take this it. last one. I gotta warn you. Here's where the rain comes down. <laughs> he may have just seen a fur seal. Oh, so fur seals get to five to six feet long. They're known, they'll actually pull their head into their fat and they'll look very human esque. They have big eyes, they have a short, flat nose. Uh, their fur on around their face can be commonly black, brownish, and their hair can be everywhere from red to white to black to brown. And when their hair is dry, and the, like if they sit out of the water for a minute and it dries out, it actually turns fuzzy and looks almost like wool or very curly hair. And when it's wet, it's very sleek and it almost looks like a fish skin. Uh, they're very extremely curious animals. But they were also been a long-time staple for the Native Native Americans. So they're curious but fearful of humans. Uh, They're one of the favorite seals in zoos because once they trust you, they get really goofy and stuff like that. Uh, But at this time, they were still being hunted for food. They are not native to the Great Lakes region, but they have been found in the Great Lakes regions before and after. So if this woodsman had never seen a fur seal probably never seen a seal in his life gets out there on pie island and it's dark it's dusk and he looks out and he sees this thing staring at him with these giant eyes and it kind of looks like a man and it's just kind of sitting in shallow water popped up and once again they'd be in this shallow water feeding you know these are muscle beds and stuff like that a lot of food and he freaks out and he's going to shoot it this old g woman runs up and beats the crap out of him, and then he beats the crap out of her, and then it's gone.
4: That's a little bit of uh, popping of my bubble, I will say.
2: Uh. <laughs> now I said that's uh, fur seals are famous for ending up where they're not supposed to be. Fur seals and harbor seals are famous for ending up ten or thousands of miles out of their range, ending up in super freshwater conditions. Uh fur seals get in Loch Ness. Every couple years, there'll be a bunch of them that get in there. For some reason, they get a burr up their butt and climb over the dam for some unknown reason, you know. Uh, They end up in Russia. There's actually a population of freshwater fur seals in a lake in Russia (laughs) that end up breaking away, and they just stop going back to the ocean.
4: And didn't, if i mistaken, but didn't in the story, they describe something of a fin-type hand?
2: Yes, and he said long non-connected fingers yeah or a flipper yeah or a flipper <laughs> we'll just go a flipper
4: oh man so
2: personally if i had to rate him i think number one he's seen a fur seal or some other close seal species a harbor seal would do as well uh or he's seen a stellar sea ape which i think was a real cryptid i think there's a lot of evidence to suggest the stellar sea apes are real I think for me personally, they're interchangeable with percentages. It could really be either or, because stellar sea apes are, were not seen in freshwater, even by Pat. You know, they, it's just like harbor seal or fr- fur seals aren't supposed to be in freshwater, but the Great Lakes do lead to the ocean. They can get there, and so it's just a matter of if one got a burr up its butt and found a place it liked. Now, Paia Island would be perfect habitat for either of them. On all of its sides has these long shallow gravel beds which fish come to spawn on. So there's a lot of fish eggs to eat. There's a lot of breeding fish to eat and there's giant mussel beds. So mussels are easy prey. They don't generally fight back too hard if you can open their shells. So whether it's a Bigfoot or a stellar sea ape or a fur seal, I think it was there because the food, I personally don't think the storm had anything to really do with it. I think that was probably a coincidence because it's known for storms in that region. Like he was saying, like there's, it's not a storm isn't uncommon, especially that time of year in the Great Lakes region. It's just kind of like saying, you know, it's going to rain in the Amazon. It's just going to happen. Yeah. You know.
4: Midwest weather in general is uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it could be once in the morning, raining, sunny in the afternoon, snowing by the evening. We do not know. So what do you think, man? I, I, I think that. The furry seal seems the most logical. It seems very, very likely that that may be. But I'm gonna have to say the Faye folk because I want to be a little bit. <laughs> I want to have a little lure to my life. But I would probably like really rate it the same way you did. It. The furry seals, uh, the stellar C C ape, and then the fay. Unfortunately, so
2: I, I'm going furry seal, stellar C ape, bigfoot. Ooh, I like that. Because I. I do think the story does scream some parts about Bigfoot to me. But he also told it over 30 years after yeah. it happened. And think about how humans do stories. Is that every time you tell them, they get a little more grandiose. And a little more grandiose. And a little more grandiose. 30 years of this guy in the woods, and he gets in front of the king, court, the king of courts. Yeah. And two judges. He's for sure put on a show. This thing gave me the middle finger. Yeah. This thing pulled out a phone book and a cell phone. I don't even know what a cell phone <laughs> is, and, but it was like, look at this. And then I tried to shoot it, and then a the laser beam came out of his eyes, and then it, it then it flew away.
4: Well, and looking at a picture of a furry seal, like and it's kind of like this, wh- it would look like a human. They look like people. Yeah, and a, in water, you'd think that this was the tor- a human torso and their faces especially some of them have them like a little bit mushed in you know what i mean and the nose is like that from a distance of 40 yards in dusk in the evening
2: that's the other thing is that you know it's a distance away at dusk that's was my big red flag for this whole story is how much detail he had at 40 yards you know i was like 20 feet from my big foot and i didn't have this much detail
4: yeah that's a that's a lot of detail and then that's from saying it over time though with people like you said like rehearsing the story not intentionally you know but just it just happens it's a human it's yeah, human, nature. It's human it's, nature nobody's doing it on purpose i i, I do like the bigfoot especially uh, adolescent bigfoot because they're so lengthy like we were talking about like they just have like you know like a giraffe like you know like young giraffe they're just so like goofy then goofy a little bit like and they're mischievous and then when they do get caught they act like kids, and they get scared and freeze. That made sense, but also a fur seal would also maybe freeze as well. Now, the thing I do gotta say is the sea ape. I like that one a lot because I think that it it gives like the lure of like you know Nessie and things of that nature, mm-hmm. so that I could see it happening. But I think it would be bigger, right? I don't know. I, I think it would look even from forty yards away. I think it would seem. From what I was just looking at, I'm not an expert on this, but I would think it would seem bigger than just like what the he sea saw. Ape? Yeah, the c ape.
2: So if I remember Taylor's original journal said it was only like four or five foot long. Okay. So he said it was like a small person.
4: Then that is real possible, man. Then, but
2: I don't know. You know, it's. I think I don't think there's besides the lizard people. I don't think there's really a bad one on this list. The lizard I person just was that fun to throw one, though. You off. I liked it. <laughs> So I think we – I think we may – I don't know if we figured this one out, but I think we got some good possibilities out there for a 240-year-old mystery.
4: Yeah, definitely.
2: But this was a fun one because there's a lot of – what I love, and you know this, what I love about these old – like any story I can get my teeth into for research that has paper trails, that has documentation. I can literally – this court record still exists. The weather record still exists. All this stuff is – tangible and you can look at it and you know we've done it with some of our bigfoot stories we've covered in the past and being you've covered some of the sea monsters and stuff like that to where it's tangible you can look at the actual newspaper articles you can look at you know and they talked about i'm like it happened not that they're talking like now with bigfoot and aliens and stuff in the news it was more like so like me and you have talked about in the past on this show is like the ohio horn serpents were reported as almost landmarks you know, you know, a group of three Ohio horned serpents were seen on the cargo shipping lane. Watch out! You know, this week coming up. You <laughs> know, don't they? They block they block traffic. They were like big eels. It was like the
4: construction cones are like, hey man, you know, don't worry, just go around them.
2: <laughs> it, it, but it was. It's it's crazy to think about. And I brought it up to some Serpents Mound crews that I think it's an Ohio horn serpent, and nobody wants it. Nobody wants to believe it that it's an Ohio <laughs> horned serpent. But I don't think they just get an Ohio horn separate. was was 100 feet long and had three big horns on its head and was probably the scariest, w- peaceful, but most powerful animal to ever live in Ohio, at least since the Jurassic. Easily. You know, and it's, yeah. So why wouldn't you make a big man, monument to it? Especially because it's right there on the Ohio River where they were being seen. You imagine seeing a 100 foot long eel with a rhino head. Well after and just being like after that Palestine incident we may see some of those <laughs> I don't no, know I think that I, I think they washed up on shore after the Palestine oh. incident. They just died.
4: They didn't create no uh, mutants.
2: <laughs> no, I don't I don't think they lived long enough to create mutants. You got to you got to survive the initial chemical burst. That's right. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, you know how we like to end it. On the count of 3, we're going to scream bye and the outro will play. You ready? Yes, sir. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye.
3: These guys are the scientists of the supernatural, lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. Who
4: knows? Anything's possible. But who else has
2: big black wings and red eyes? Mothman. Mothman. A great white shark was stolen. Someone stole the shark. It's amazingly safe from the weather. I got stuff for you you don't even know about. It sounds like you were abducted. There'd be a lot of poop in my pants. <laughs> Seeing a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree—it's really big mm-hmm. abduction vibes. Holy moly!
4: She's a witch. She turned me into a newt
3: <laughs> And it just stood
2: up. I mean, it just like kept going and going.